Hey, buddy, what you doing? Is it Christmas yet? No, sorry, not yet. I can't wait for Christmas. Yeah, I can't wait for Christmas either. In fact, let's celebrate now. <laughs> Welcome to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> it's August 25th, 2016, and that means there's four months left till Christmas. Today's show is extra special because we have the one and only Mignon Fogarty sitting in with us. We'll be diving into some of the past episodes of her Grammar Girl podcast where the topic of Christmas grammar came up. We'll also tell you how you can own a piece of Christmas history, we've got something to satisfy your Christmas sweet tooth, and you'll get a rather unorthodox round of the Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Jingle Brawl. Let's start the show. Welcome to the show. I'm Tim Babb, stand-up comedian and number one Christmas superfan, and I'm so happy to have you with us here at the podcast where we don't let a silly thing like a calendar tell us when we can celebrate Christmas. All I know is that I must have been really good this year because I asked Santa for a guest, and he gave me a great one. Really excited to talk to Mignon Fogarty a little later, but first, if you hunger to celebrate Christmas right this very minute, I may just have something to tide you over in our first segment. We need a little Christmas now. We need a So a while back, Roger left a comment on the show asking for recipes. Well, be careful what you wish for, Roger, because Christmas is all about making wishes come true. So I'm going to share an idea I had for Christmas M&M cookies. If you're doing this when it's not Christmas time, you're going to need a big, and I mean big, bag of M&Ms. Why so big? Because you're going to go through and pick out only the red and green ones. These are Christmas cookies, after all. So block out some time, fire up your copy of Mickey's Christmas Carol, and pick out enough red and green M&Ms to fill up one and a half cups. Then, after that, you'll need one cup of packed brown sugar, a half a cup of white sugar, one cup of shortening, two eggs, one and a half teaspoons of vanilla extract, two and a half cups of all-purpose flour, one teaspoon of baking soda, and one teaspoon of salt. All right, once you got all that, get a large bowl. Mix the sugar, the eggs, the shortening, and the vanilla, and mix them thoroughly. It says that in the recipe, thoroughly, as though you're going to just half-heartedly mix them together. No, do it thoroughly. Then after you've done that, add the flour, salt, and baking soda to the mixture. Then blend that well, and add three-fourths of a cup of the M&Ms. Okay, then you drop the dough by the teaspoonful onto a baking sheet. Then uh, gingerly push a few candies on the top of each dough ball. Then you bake at 350 degrees. I probably should have told you to set your oven for 350 degrees before this. Oh, that's Fahrenheit, by the way. It's 175 degrees Celsius. And then you bake for 9 to 11 minutes. Now, I know going through all that big bag of M&Ms was a pain, but here's where you reap the benefits. Because while the cookies are baking, you've got a bunch of brown, yellow, orange, and blue M&Ms to enjoy. I mean, it makes no sense to leave them there and to be wasteful to throw them out. Basically, it's two desserts. It's a can't-wait-for-Christmas miracle. Now, if you didn't write down the recipe, don't worry. I posted a link to it on can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. But the red and green part isn't in there. It's just a regular recipe for M&M cookies. You've got to remember that part yourself. Can you handle it? I knew that you could. Now, before we get to our guests, I've got some Christmas news to share. But despite the lovely message I got from Anthony a while back saying he enjoyed the jingle for our news segment, I had to record a new one. The old jingle was just too ear-splitting. So I hope you all enjoy the new single for All I Want for Christmas is News. Baby, all I want for Christmas is news. Yeah. Give me that news, baby. Anthony, I hope that still meets your approval, but on to the news. The house that inspired the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas, better known as The Night Before Christmas, is up for sale. The house, which is on West 22nd Street in New York City... New York City! Wow, that is an old reference. Anyway, this is where Clement Clark Moore lived when he wrote the poem that would eventually become The Night Before Christmas. This is the poem that many credit with defining the modern Santa Claus, and you could live in the house where Moore heard the prancing and pawing of each little reindeer hoof. According to the New York Post, this four-story townhouse is 4,300 square feet and comes with original details, including Greek Revival plaster moldings and medallions, four marble mantles, and inlaid parquet wood floors. 
So, walking through the timeline, Moore wrote the poem here in 1823 and then sold the home in 1835. It was later rebuilt into a townhouse in 1842. Wait. Rebuilt into a townhouse in 1841? So this isn't the house. It's a new house built on the same spot? Huh. Well, that's kind of a misleading headline, New York Post. Well, if you want to buy this house that is technically a piece of Christmas history, it'll only cost you $8.65 million. If you want to partner up and buy it together, I've got .0009 million that I can pitch in. You just have to come up with the rest. What? No? No? Well, the house might be out of our reach, but we'll always have his poem to read. Speaking of reading and jarring segues, I think it's time we heard from our very special guest. So, my oldest son started kindergarten this week, which means it's back-to-school time here in the U.S., so I thought this would be a good month to learn a little bit about the language of Christmas time. Take a closer look at the language of Christmas carols, examine ways to ensure we're writing our Christmas letters and cards correctly, and maybe even discover the true meaning of Xmas. Fortunately, there's a podcast Hall of Fame inducted legend who's covered all these topics and more. So I lit up the grammar signal and she has answered the call. She's a New York Times bestselling author, a professor at the University of Nevada, and you know her best as the host of the award-winning Grammar Girls Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing podcast, Mignon Fogarty. Welcome to the show. Tim, thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. So I wanted to have you on not only to talk about Christmas grammar, but because you are the reason that podcasts like mine exist. You are one of the true pioneers of podcasting. Yeah, I wasn't. There was an, a wave that was earlier than I was, but I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary, so I've been doing it quite a while. Congratulations. Thanks. I was just <laughs> thinking last night how amazing it is that I actually still like doing it. <laughs> <laughs> So before we revisit some of your old episodes of your podcast where you talked about Christmas grammar, we have to learn the origins of Grammar Girl. Because if Marvel movies have taught me anything, it's that every superhero has a cool origin story. So what inspired you to become Grammar Girl? Were you bitten by a radioactive style guide? Uh, Did your parents send you here from the doomed planet of Lexicon? Or maybe when you were studying biology at Stanford, did you get irradiated by grammar rays? What is the origin story? Oh my gosh, those are way better stories. I think I'm just going to adopt those. And use those from one of those from now on. The radioactive spider in the Stanford lab. I, I love it. That that's what happened. Absolutely. Oh, okay. N- nailed it. <laughs> nailed it. <laughs> oh, you want a real answer? <laughs> okay. Um, so I, I mean, really, I just love technology, and I heard about this new thing called podcasting, and I wanted to try it. And I was working as a, a freelance writer and editor at the time, and I, I had started a science podcast, but that kind of wasn't working out. And then um, I was looking for something easier to do, so I, I, I started the the Grammar Podcast just because I you know loved technology. I had loved playing with podcasting, and, and it sort of fit in with my my day job at the time to do something about writing and editing. Um, but you know, I mean, more like going way back to childhood. I grew up as an only child, and I used to like play Me in too. the yard, play in the yard, and talk to myself. And I didn't really have imagine. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't really have imaginary friends, but I imagined that I was talking to people. And it occurred to me, I don't know, like maybe a year ago, that that's kind of what podcasting is. Is I'm standing here in my closet. <laughs> Talking to myself, so imagining true. the people who are listening. So it's a lot like what I did playing in the yard when I was, you know, seven. I did that, but I my dad actually let me borrow his video camera, or I also had a tape recorder, and I figured out how to use... I mean, it was just a tape player, but it also had a record feature, and I figured out that if you plug the headphones in the microphone jack, you could record things. Awesome. Like it, and so I did the same thing, except I have all that embarrassing seven-year-old antics is out there. Well, it's in here, actually, in the Christmas cave and all my collections like for to embarrass me, I'm sure, someday later. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> now, uh, how do you decide what topics to do on your show? Because I must, on one hand, I feel like you've, you've just clocked, like, what, is 530 episodes right. by this point? Yeah. So on one hand, I feel like maybe you've covered everything. But on the other hand, there's like so many grammar questions people have. It must be like Superman deciding who to save and who not to save. Like, I'm sorry, I can't deal with commas today. Someone has got to deal with these run-on sentences. <laughs> well, in the beginning, I answered the super obvious questions, you know, who versus 
versus whom, that versus which, how to use a comma, stuff like that. And and honestly, you know, I was working, I, I, you know, I have a degree in English and I was working as a writer but and an editor, but I found I was having to look things up all the time in the AP Style Book or the Chicago Manual of Style because even though I have a degree in English, no one taught me all those nitpicky little rules. It was about, you know, the symbolism of swords and Beowulf and stuff like that. <laughs> so, so I was having to look things up every day and just the things that I had to look up all the time were the things I started podcasting about. But then, you know, very soon thereafter, people started emailing me questions and then those formed the basis for most of my shows after that. And even today, someone will email me a question and I'll think, oh, yeah, I covered that. But it turns out, you know, I just answered it on Facebook or on Twitter or something like that. And it, it never actually made it into a show. So, you know, every at least once a month, I'll come across something that I think think I've covered that I haven't. So, you know, there's still a lot left to do. <laughs> so, I should steer this back towards Christmas, but thank you for letting me indulge the Grammar Girl fanboy that lives inside me. <laughs> so, on your show many years ago, you talked about the language of Christmas carols, and I found that very interesting. So, if I might impose upon you to walk down memory lane, I wanted to start with Joy to the World. It has that line that sounds very awkward to the modern ear. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Right. The amazing thing about Christmas carols and some maybe some prayers and um, also the law is that archaic language kind of gets frozen in time in the lyrics and the legal language. And so you get these strange constructions that were common, you know, two, three hundred years ago when the Christmas carols were written and that we wouldn't really say today. So, you know, the Lord, um, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Someone, a listener asked me about that phrase. Why do we say the Lord is come instead of the Lord has come? And it just has to do with this really archaic grammatical form called the unaccusative, which, you know, I you'd need a PhD in linguistics to explain, and I don't have one. But so it's, you know, I, I, I can't explain, and your listeners probably don't care, but it's called the unaccusative. <laughs> when you say come is in the unaccusative form in the sentence the, or the phrase, the Lord is come. And it turns out they think that just because it is and has sound so similar that people just stopped saying is, and now we just say has. I figured it was just because God said it wrong and nobody wanted to correct him. Well, you know, who would want to do that, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you don't want to, like, get stopped at the pearly gates because you corrected God's grammar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't need Clippy. It's like I tell people, yeah, don't correct your boss at work. It's better to be, be right and quiet than lose your job. <laughs> that is good advice. <laughs> uh, and you also talked about what child is this. I was I was trying I was explaining this to my mom uh, earlier tonight about what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping. I was like, if you wrote that as a sentence in like in like in a school essay or something, you would get laughed out of class. Right. If my stu- one of my students wrote that, there'd be some some ink on that page around that sentence. <laughs> but um, Neil Whitman, who is a linguist, um, guest wrote this um, episode for me, and he he pointed out that if you add commas, you kind of get to see how it's a bunch of different parts joined together that make sense. So if you say, what child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? So laid to rest is sort of like a participial adjective. It it just sort of describes what's going on and it's its own little thing. So you could put it in commas um, or you could leave it out. And then it would be, what child is this who on Mary's lap is sleeping? So the is, on Mary's lap is sleeping is still kind of weird, but it's grammatical. It's It fits like normal grammar patterns. And then that laid to rest part is just descriptive and could be left out. I also like that the fact that the, the speaker clearly knows who Mary is, but doesn't know who Jesus is. <laughs> Such a good point. Like, wait, wait, wait. Who's this baby? You've thought about this way too much. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you have a Christmas podcast, that's all you think about. You tend to overanalyze these things. <laughs> and the last Christmas Carol thing I want to bring up, uh, a little over a year ago, no, it might have been exactly a year ago, we did an episode all about the song Jingle Bells from when it was created, you know, the, the argument between two states about where it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, and but one of the things that I, I specifically called you out by name in the show, uh, there's one of the verse that goes, "Misfortune seemed his lot. We got into a drifted bank, and we we got upsot." Now, aside from giggling at wee wee, <laughs> is upsot a word? Because I have I googled it, 
And I went to the third page and I couldn't find anything. And by that time, I give up, as anybody does a Google search. Have you ever heard of the word? Has, it ever, has anyone ever brought this up to you? Right. Well, no one had ever brought it up to me before. And then when you mentioned it, you actually taught me something because I went and looked it up. And apparently my Google foo is better than yours. <laughs> and I discovered that upsot is an archaic form of, the, of upset. So it just means that the sleigh was, you know, tipped over. It was upset. So upsot is it's like another one of those archaic things that you find in lyrics, and it it just means upset. Oh, okay. Because one of the things I found said it it meant uh, it was like I think it was on Wikipedia, and it said it means drunk or something in old English. But there was no source for that. Like, oh, it means drunk. No number one. No like, oh, and look this up, and here here's where I, I found that. It's just like, uh, cause I say so, and I'm Wikipedia, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't think so. And what? <laughs> Why would you get drunk? Because the, the horse swerved, swerved around. Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but then I also wanted to ask you about Christmas time, writing letters uh, to friends and family. Um, I, I, uh, you did an episode about this, about where you sometimes most people address a letter like, "Dear Phil." Mm-hmm. Hey, how's it going? Merry Christmas. Uh, you know, give me back my weed whacker. Whatever people write in Christmas cards. <laughs> <laughs> but then some people go, hi, Bill. And they still write it like, hi, Bill, comma, and then uh, carriage return, which is how old I am, because I know that's not what you say anymore. <laughs> and then the rest of the sentence. So, but that is not technically correct. Is that right? Right. And here's the tricky thing. So, so dear Bill, comma, is, is right because it's a form of address. But um, hi, Bill, is different. It follows a rule called the rule of direct address. And you should have a comma after the hi. It's sort of like saying, give me your pen, Bill. You know, you'd put a comma before <laughs> Bill. And, and hi is the same. So it should have a comma. But if you, if I read my email probably one in 5,000 emails that I get will actually use the comma properly. And, and when that many people are doing something wrong, it kind of becomes the standard. And so when I'm, when I'm writing email to people, I will put the comma after high. But every time, I kind of feel like I'm being pedantic. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a real, it's an actual struggle that I think about almost every time I write an email because it's like, should I go with the common usage? Should I go with the correct form? Well, I'm grammar girl, so I have to go with the correct form. (laughs) But now I'm like, people are going to notice it there and think either I'm wrong or I'm being like snooty. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's a problem. Better to go with just dear Bill, comma. (laughs) I have to say, it's also uh, like the, well, I'm grammar girl, kind of from the other side. Like when I wrote you an email like a couple weeks ago, I, you would not believe how many drafts I went through because I'm like I know this 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 can't be right because <laughs> I, I went feel- through like a list of things I was going to ask you about and I'm like wait no do I put a colon here no I don't a semi- let's go back to that episode it doesn't specifically address this okay <laughs> <laughs> I feel so bad when I when people tell me that too because I don't want people to feel intimidated when they're writing to me but I know everyone does I hear it all the time so it's not unusual but but I'm not judgy you, you don't have to <laughs> I know the thing, that's the thing is that's your total you like if you ever listen to your podcast or read any of your you know social media posts like you are so non-judgy. You are not the person to be like, uh, it's your you know, like that is that is so not <laughs> what you're about. But it's still I'm just I'm like, I know she'll know. Like if any like <laughs> it'd be like someone writing like, you know, writing to me the wrong lyrics of a Christmas carol, like I would know. True. <laughs> I wouldn't say anything, but I would silently judge them. <laughs> um and also, um, when you're addressing, when you're like making Christmas cards, like my podcast, we have like a little uh, store on Zazzle where you can go and get like, you know, Christmas cards where you can put your photo in and then, you know, um, address it like it's the the Smith family, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes I, was, I would write it like the Smiths. And I, right. I know like Smith, you just need an S. But for some reason, I feel the urge to put an apostrophe. <laughs> you are not alone in that urge, but it's wrong. <laughs> okay. Right. It's plural, so you don't need an apostrophe. Um, you could, if it were, were this, if you were writing a sign for your house, like, you know, how some people put their name on the front of the house, and it said the Smith's house, then you could put an apostrophe at the end of Smith's because ho- it's a possessive to the house. So, you know, in that case, you'd put an apostrophe, but it would be after the final S because it's still the 
the plural Smiths and then their house. Oh. Yeah. And people well, that'd get... be weird because my name's not Smith. So people are like, <laughs> why'd you put that sign in your house? <laughs> <laughs> but I hear from so many people, like when I go out and give talks, people will often come up, their name ends with S, say it's Jones, and they'll, they'll kind of whisper, like, I'm, I'm not sure how to make my own name plural because <laughs> it, it ends with S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it's Joneses, J-O-N-E-S-E-S. It's just like you'd make a an, a word, plural. <laughs> well, there you go, listeners. With the S as the last name, you're welcome. But if it's a Y, actually, if a, if it's a Y, it's not like you'd make a name plural. So Kennedy, actually, my name, Fogarty, um, it's F-O-G-A-R-T-Y, and then you just add an S, the Fogartys. It's not F-O-G-A-R-T-I-E-S. Like you might do with a word. So just add the oh, S. Yeah. That's, that's so complicated. This is well, why we need you, Grammar Girl. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I will always have a job. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're so right. And last, last part of letter writing I wanted to get into was uh, the kids writing letters to Santa. When they're writing their lists, like, Dear Santa, I would like, col-, I mean, because it's a good chance to teach them, you know, the proper way to write, colon or semicolon before their list of items. Oh, nothing. So you you really (gasps) should only put a colon after a complete sentence. So, dear Santa, here's my list of things I'd like, colon, because that's a complete sentence. Mm-hmm. But um, I would like, yeah, that's only the first half of a sentence. So you just, you really just don't put anything. Uh, I know uh-huh. it looks weird. Everyone wants to put a colon there. Everyone does. It's like that comma that they don't want to put in after high. And so you'll see it, <laughs> you'll see it wrong all the time. But there really shouldn't be one there. That's good to know. Fortunately, my kid isn't quite writing yet. But when he, by the time he does, I am ready. You are ready. And then I wanted to ask your personal question because I know. I mean, your personal opinion. It's not a personal question. Oh, okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, not the Oxford comma, the serial comma. Right. Do you think Santa is more or less likely to give you that last item on your list if you use the serial comma? Wow. So let's think about Santa. Does Santa seem more like a Chicago Manual of Style guy? In which he would prefer the Oxford comma, also known as the serial comma. Or does he seem more like an AP, Associated Press kind of guy? So Santa, being up at the North Pole, is probably not that into like the current daily news. I don't view Santa Mm -hmm. as like a reporter who's like sending out a daily update to the elves based on the news of the Santa region. Um, (laughs) I see Santa more as someone who would enjoy a good novel, right? Like I see Santa sitting by the fire with a really good book and his feet up and he's eating some cookies. So (laughs) that to me says that Santa is more of a Chicago Manual of Style guy and therefore he would prefer the Oxford comma. All right. I love that. That was so well reasoned. <laughs> you got to make something up. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was fact. It's now it's now grammar girl fact. It's it's done. It's canon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um I want to talk about some Christmas controversy language, uh specifically Xmas. Oh, right. Yes. Like some people think some people seem to say it's like, "Oh, that's but you're, you're trying to take the Christ out of Christmas, but that's not, I don't think that's accurate. Am I right? You're correct. The super fascinating thing about Xmas is that um, the X originally stood for Christ, and it's the way Christ was abbreviated. I, uh, I, I didn't look this up. I think it's in Greek. Um, I think that the symbol for Christ in Greek is XP, and I forget what that stands for, but if you see the image, often it's the X and the P sort of superimposed on each other. It's a, it's a Christian symbol that you would recognize immediately if you saw it. It's in a lot of churches. Right. And so the, the X, it does stand for Christ. So, you know, retailers do use it because it's shorter, but it, it has a long tradition of actually not being unreligious. Right. It wasn't like someone was like, oh, I know, tee like we'll pretend like it it isn't Christmas, which is, I don't know, it seems odd to me that people would even think that's what someone would do. Like, hey, come to our Xmas sale. Oh, is that relation to Christmas? No. <laughs> right. 
Yeah, no, there's a really the, the article on my website is super interesting. Um, it's, if you go to quickanddirtytips.com and search for Xmas, the, the whole article will be there and will give you actually far more information than I can remember off the top of my head right now. <laughs> oh, fret not. I've got links to the episodes of your show where you fully covered these things I'm bringing up. So I encourage everyone to check out each one. You'll find them all in the show notes at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Super. But something you haven't covered, and I thought I'd ask you about, is Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays. You always hear people grousing about Happy Holidays being anti-religion and this push to have people say Merry Christmas all the time. But I was reading that Merry Christmas is actually a holdover from when Christmas was more like Mardi Gras or Cinco de Mayo. People get drunk, people get naked. (laughs) It was too flamboyant. Exactly. And so when you would make merry at Christmas, that is what they were talking about. But Happy Holidays literally isn't holidays, literally holy days. And I was like, I don't know if that's literally the, what holidays means. And I was like, I know who to ask. I'm talking to her tonight. <laughs> well, I don't know off the top of my head, but that sounds absolutely um, plausible. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. The holidays would come from holy days. Do people do that all the time? Like, you must just be an endless font of, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> <laughs> knowledge of all things grammar. Like, you just must, it just must spring from within you. You don't need reference books or anything. I should just ask you anything at any given topic at any time. You should know. Right. I look things up. Does that up happen to all, you a lot? Yeah, I look things up. I mean, I have to look things up all the time. I, I will look things up and be directed to my own website on things I wrote, you know, six years ago. And I'm like, that's right. I did used to know that. I mean, if you look at, you know, I mean, so you look at Gardner's Modern American Usage, which is one of my favorite reference books that I, or Merriam-Webster Dictionary of English Usage. Those books are 800, 900 hundred pages long like nobody could remember everything that's in all those books (laughs) true i don't remember all the 12 days of christmas and like i said i do a podcast about this all year long (laughs) it actually is something i had to get used to because when i first started doing radio interviews and they had live callers i would be completely freaked out that i was supposed to know everything all the time that anyone asked and you know it was like giving it was like standing up for a qualifying exam in graduate school it was just incredibly (laughs) stressful and i had to get i had to get comfortable with the idea of being able to say i don't know which was really hard um but but people seem to understand that you know I, i can't know everything and i have to look things up too but i love to look things up so that's my job it's really fun <laughs> uh so a little behind the scenes this interview like we we <laughs> you called last night because i thought we because we sort of miscommunicated in the email right and and then uh <laughs> you said you had a story about going about a christmas story involving the airport i was like well i now you bring it up i we gotta hear about it on the show Right. So long, long ago in a land far away, um, I I lived in the Bay Area and there are three airports, San Francisco, San Jose and Oakland. And, you know, I was a graduate student and we were going home to Seattle for Christmas, my husband and I. And I told him our flight was out of San Jose and it wasn't. It was out of San Francisco. So we went to the wrong airport on, you know, two days before Christmas and we get up to the counter and they look at us like we're crazy. (laughs) And I am so embarrassed embarrassed and upset because you know we can't we barely had time to you know and and we were poor we were graduate students so taking a cab from San Jose to San Francisco seemed impossible and this wonderful guy who worked for the airline and I feel really bad because I can't remember anymore which airline it was he is like I'm just getting off work and I live up that way I'll just drive you to the San Francisco airport this yeah this employee of the airline and we're like really? He's, he's like, yeah, let me just go get my car. And he drove us to the San Francisco airport. And about halfway there, we were thinking, you know, we're, we're in a car with a stranger. <laughs> I hope we really At least get... you outnumbered him. <laughs> I hope we actually get to the airport. But no, he was just perfectly wonderful and took us to the other airport. And it was, it was, it was like a Christmas miracle. <laughs> I was going to say that is total spirit of Christmas story. It is. It would make a good TV show. <laughs> All right, so before I let you go, uh, I want to ask you five questions about Christmas that we're calling Five Golden Things. (laughs) What is your favorite Christmas song? Oh, my favorite Christmas song? Ah, I don't think. Oh, I know. Um, I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Really? Yes. Only a hippopotamus will do. <laughs> <laughs> that always makes me laugh. <laughs> what a great pick. <laughs> 
Number four. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie or TV special? I have two. So my my favorite Christmas movie is Elf. I nice. could, could watch that over and over, and my husband and I will repeat lines from it to each other. Um, <laughs> you know, I like I get really excited whenever I see syrup because I think of Elf, and um, <laughs> we'll say like, and then we went through the candy cane forest. <laughs> I just I love that movie so much. <laughs> yeah. uh, Will Ferrell is committed. That's what I love about that. Uh, I mean, if he hadn't really just full throttled it, where he was just like that character, like turned it up to eleven, like that wouldn't have worked. But the like he just sells that character. Absolutely. And then my favorite TV show is The Year Without a Santa Claus. And because it has oh. the heat miser in it and the cold yes. miser. And I will sing that, also sing that song to myself when I need a little encouragement. I will sing, put one foot in front of the other. <laughs> so yes. That is from The Day Without a Santa Claus or The Year Without a yes. Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, it was just a day. It was just a day. <laughs> Turned out it wasn't that bad. <laughs> he came back. <laughs> they wrapped it up real quick. Number three. What is the best Christmas present you've ever gotten? Okay, the best Christmas present I ever got was from my husband, and it was a light bright. <laughs> and wow, here's why. So we were both only children, and. My husband, Pat, he was sort of along the lines of the only child who got every toy he ever wanted. And my parents kind of wanted to try to not spoil me. So I didn't get every toy I wanted. And my cousins had a light bright. And I thought it was the most amazing toy on earth. And I always wanted a light bright and I never got one. And I had told him this story. And that year he got me a light bright for Christmas. Wow. And it was not even remotely as cool as I remembered. And I gave it to Goodwill, but it was the most thoughtful, best (laughs) present ever. (laughs) If you ever go to the, I mean, if you ever find yourself in Pittsburgh, which, you know, people constantly are like, what happened? I'm in Pittsburgh. Uh, They have a children's museum there. And on the second floor, they have a gigantic light bright (gasps) where like the pegs are bigger than your hand. Oh my gosh. I would go. (laughs) Yes. I I was like, this was worth the trip to Pittsburgh all by itself. That's so cool. <laughs> and there's also a ton of Mr. Rogers stuff in that uh, museum because uh, he lived in that area. Oh, that sounds amazing. Random facts from the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Number two. Worst Christmas present. Okay, this is an easy one, too. So my stepbrother was studying to be a chef. And one Christmas, he sent us a live lobster. Like It comes in a box, but it's alive, and you have to kill it. You have to kill it. You have to kill your own food. And, and and I'm not a vegetarian, but I will not kill my own food. Like, if I had to kill my food, I would be a vegetarian. <laughs> so, you know, it comes, and Pat and I are looking at it, and it's making noise, and, and it says lobster, and we're, we're thinking, please, don't let it be alive. Just don't let it be alive. And we opened it up, and it was alive. <laughs> so... We gave it to our neighbor, who was also a chef. <laughs> and he, oh, I thought you were going to say, we took it to the beach and let it be free. We thought about it, because we lived by the beach at the time, and we thought maybe we should set it free, but we weren't sure if it would survive in the kind of water that we were by. Oh. We, you know, we didn't know enough about lobster biology. Good point. <laughs> we thought we might be killing it by putting it in the ocean, so we weren't sure. Yeah, if you don't see a lot of other lobsters around, chances are there's a reason. <laughs> yeah, so our neighbor was absolutely thrilled. It was his, probably his best Christmas present ever, but... <laughs> <laughs> Don't send me something I have to kill. <laughs> Honorable mentions. Honorable mention question. Uh, we're doing uh, a thing this year where we're trying to pick the best version of the song Jingle Bells. Oh. I want to know if you had a favorite version uh, by a fair particular singer. Oh my gosh. I wrote lyrics to Jingle Bells that I don't know off the top of my head, but I will send them to you. I have the copy editor's version of Jingle Bells. Oh my gosh, I must have that. (laughs) I will send it to you. (laughs) And then you can sing it. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, if you want to record yourself singing it. No, I did enough singing already. (laughs) More than enough. (laughs) It's never enough. Uh, Well, I I mean, uh, I don't mean to rain on your parade. I don't think that's going to make the final uh, final five. No, it's going to (laughs) win. Okay, okay. I like the confidence. (laughs) Number one. The last question. Eggnog. Yum or yuck? Oh, yum. I love eggnog. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. 
Yeah. I I just could never get into it. It just tastes like something went wrong with milk. <laughs> it's a it's a a distinct taste. I can see how yes. someone might dislike it. Well, like um uh you, you used to live here in the Bay Area. We have this thing called the Garlic Festival down in Gilroy. Oh yeah. And they have garlic ice cream. Ew. Yeah, it's like you, your tongue tastes it and your tongue feels, oh, cold, consistency of ice cream, this is going to be great. And then all of a sudden the taste buds go, nope, nope, something's wrong, abort, maverick, pull up, something went wrong. <laughs> that is what, that's what eggnog is like for me. Like, oh, delicious milk, nope, nope, this isn't milk. <laughs> we never made it down to the garlic festival, but if you, you, I'm sure you know, if you drive through Gilroy, it just, you, it, your pores soak up the garlic smell. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well... Minion, thank you so much for being on. The- oh wait, no, wait, wait. I have, before we let you go, I do want to ask. Uh, you have a card game that you were working on. I do. I, like I know, like you actually completed it, but it was. I, I wasn't to know. Will it be ready in time for Christmas? No, I um. Threat. I, I oh, I know. It's my biggest failure. The crowdfunding succeeded, and then I got it to all the backers, but I never did the extra work to get it. F- for sale to the general public. So it's just sitting there waiting to be, you know, produced and put up for sale. And I'm the chair of media entrepreneurship. So the fact that I haven't got my own product to market is just ridiculously embarrassing. <laughs> but, you know, I, and, and, and like, I want to, I could get it, the, the right way to do it would be to get it printed in China, and you have to plan really far ahead to make that happen in time oh, for Christmas. Right. And I'm just not that good at planning, you know, four months ahead of time. So the last two years, I've missed the Christmas deadline. And then I thought, I'll do it next year. And then I didn't get it to it in time again. So I'm hoping not for this Christmas, but I really, really, really hope to get it for sale for next Christmas. Okay. That we're, we're holding you to it. Because <laughs> people loved it. It was called P4s, and the backers who got the game seemed to really love it. So I, I would just love to make it for sale for for everyone who could have fun playing it. <laughs> but <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And, and I, yeah, I, I, tore, I could put it up as a print-on-demand thing, but that just doesn't feel right to me. So. Well, if people do want a Christmas gift to give their grammar-loving friends this year, there's the Grammar Girl's Quick and Dirty Tips for Better Writing. That's available on Amazon, I believe. Correct. Yes, it's a print book and an e-book available in whichever format you prefer. And you have like six other books. Uh, I'm not going to remember them all. You'd think that I would be having notes in front of me, but I'm in the garage <laughs> and now the sun has gone down and I can't have the lights on in here or else, I, or else it goes... So, but I know you have six other books, uh, 101 Troublesome Words. You have right. a couple of 101 series, right? I have four books in the 101 Words series. Um, the, the book I think that makes the best gift is the Grammar Devotional. It's like a tip-a-day calendar, but it's a book, so you don't have to throw the pages away. And it has nice. it has little cu- little puzzles and cartoons and a daily tip it's 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 in it's it's a lovely little book and i, I think it's <laughs> the one that makes the best gift it's called the grammar devotional nice and if you're if they're more into digital things you could always get them uh grammar pop your app your game app on itunes right only available for the um iphone ipad and mac because i developed it myself and that's all i was able to do <laughs> i tried the android <laughs> and failed but um yeah it's a grammar pop is a game where you match words with their part of speech and it's pretty fun so that's also a, a nice I would say it's a stocking stuffer because it's it's very affordable. I think it's a dollar ninety nine, but um, you know it's kind of hard to put a digital gift in a stocking. I mean, you just grab an iTunes gift card from the store and boom, put it in the stocking. There you go. <laughs> so that's how you can have a very grammar Christmas, which. I'm pretty sure it's bad grammar, the way I just phrased that. <laughs> True. You know, actually, I, I don't, again, I don't market them well at all, but we also have um, Grammar Girl Christmas cards that have a diagrammed um, greeting inside. It's a sentence. We took a Christmas greeting and, and diagrammed it like a sentence inside. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's on Cafe Press. Is that, that's on your website? Yeah, I think at the very bottom, if you go to QDT store or something like that, you can, you can find it. Or maybe if you search for Grammar Girl Christmas card cafe press at google it would come up oh i will dig up the link and it will be on this show notes people will get the info they need (laughs) (laughs) fabulous yeah they're they're fun they're they're cute little cards they're they're overpriced because they're at cafe press and we make like a dollar on each sale so um it's really just for people who want it (laughs) for fun (laughs) it's not really a a profit center for us (laughs) still i mean it's cool and people might want it so yeah. yeah they're super fun well, thank you again so much. I cannot, first of all, I cannot tell you how surreal it is to actually be talking and you're talking back to me, like <laughs> a voice that I've just heard for like 10 years. 
Well, I'm glad to talk with you. It's fun. Yeah, I, she's I, a real person. She's not just a celebrity that exists in the ether. I'm not just a cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> well, Merry Christmas in summer. Merry Chris summer to you. And I know school is starting for you soon, so I hope you have a great year professoring. Thank you. And thank you for all the great work you do on your wonderful podcast. I can't wait to hear more. Fabulous. Thanks so much, Tim. Thank you. Okay, bye. So many thanks to Mignon Fogarty for joining us on the show today. Whoever said Don't Meet Your Heroes is totally wrong, because that couldn't have gone better, except for the part where I sounded like a tween girl meeting Tom Hiddleston. But the time for friendly conversation is over. It's time to fight. The ultimate version of Jingle Bells isn't going to pick itself, so it's time for the next contenders in the Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl! Jingle Brawl away! By the end of 2016, you're going to help us pick the best version of Jingle Bells. 70 contenders have duped it out so far, including the 10 from our July episode. Let's check out the results from the last match and see who's going to the semifinals. It was neck and neck all month long between Perry Como and Gene Audrey. Let's see who got the most votes by the time the polls closed. What? I don't believe it. It's a tie! That means they're both going to the semifinals and we can settle this in October. But now, ten more singers want your vote so they can join Perry and Gene in the semifinals. Let's meet this month's contestants! Pat Boone! Jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. What fun it is to ride in a one-horse open sleigh. Glenn Miller and his orchestra. Jingle bells, jingle bells, I don't mind the storm. Bring your coats and hats, you lukewarm cats. I've got my horn to keep me warm. B.B. and Cece Williams. Connick Jr. Bells on bobtails ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to ride and sing, slaying song tonight. Oh, Mannheim Steamroller. That's the jingle phone. Hello? What? You're kidding me. They just talked about it five minutes ago. How can it be ready already? Well, all right. I'll put them in the contest. Well, jingle brawlers, this is unprecedented. We have another entry in today's matchup with lyrics by Mignon Fogarty, music performed by Kevin McLeod, licensed under a Creative Commons license, and performed by Team Babe. Oh, I'm sorry. Tim Babb. This is Copy Editor's Jingle Bells! Dashes through the prose in these one-page school essays. I can't feel my nose, make them go away. Bells on bobtail ring, 
making spirits bright. What fun it is to laugh and sing, but I'm stuck in here tonight. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. A day or two ago, I sat right down and cried. I'm not even sure these boys and girls have tried. The papers could be blank. Their scribbles are for naught. My heart, it truly sank. They haven't got a thought. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. Make jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. Now the ground is white. Keep in mind they're young. Cut some slack tonight and sing this slaying song. Oh, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. Hey, jingle bells, jingle bells, jingle all the way. Oh, what fun it is to grade these one-page cool essays. So once again, voting is open now at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. Cast your vote now for your favorite version. You can vote once a day, every day, until the polls close August 20th at midnight Pacific time. Then come back and join us next time for the final preliminary matchup in the 2016 Jingle Brawl! And that's our show. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, because I had a lot of fun today. Feel free to share this with others. This is one present that I don't mind if you re-gift. Just a few quick announcements. We're now available on Google Play, so you have several options to listen to us. iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, the website. You have options, is all I'm saying. And if there's a way to write a review on any of these sites, I certainly would appreciate it. And also, we have a new batch of 2016 Christmas cards in the official Can't Wait for Christmas store at Zazzle.com slash Can't Wait for Christmas. They're fully customizable, and you have the option of getting matching return address labels and or postage stamps. As a reminder, all the links to all the episodes of the Grammar Girl podcast we talked about earlier in the show are at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com, as well as your chance to vote in the Jingle Brawl. Lastly, a huge, gigantic, colossal, thesaurus thank you to Mignon Fogarty for adding a touch of class to this crazy show. And as always, thank you for listening, and until next time, keep laughing all the way. Christmas, 1983. Actually, Dad, it's 2016. Oh. Hey, ho, ho. Thank you for listening to the Can't Wait for Christmas podcast. If you like this show, please subscribe to us on iTunes and write us a review. Or if you prefer to stream your podcast, we're now available on Stitcher as well. <laughs> if you'd like to leave a comment on this or any episode, go to our official website at can'twaitforchristmaspod.com. There you'll find a link to our official Zazzle store where you can buy customizable Christmas decorations, clothing, and other gift ideas all year long. Our show only comes out once a month, but we love to interact with you any day of the year. Just come by to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash can't wait for Christmas pod, or our Twitter name at Christmas pod, or you can always send us an email directly at Christmas at tangas.com. The Can't Wait for Christmas podcast is part of the Tancast podcast network. We Wish You a Merry Christmas was performed by the United States Marine Corps Band, and this glorious version of Jingle Bells on the Accordion was performed by the amazing Kristen Nowicki. All of their music and sounds are properties of their individual copyright holders, and no infringement is intended. All right, I can't think of anything else to say. How about you boys? God bless us, everyone. Drop dough by the teaspoonful onto a baking sheet. Drop the dough... You know, I'm going to read this a little better because they are not reading this... They're not writing this recipe for it to be read out loud, so i got to take some creative license with it. I hope you'll bear with me. Then, drop the dough by the spoonful onto a baking sheet. Slightly push a few can... Slightly? Slightly push them. Like you were going to go... Smash! Hulk make cookies! Glenn Miller! The Glenn Miller Orchestra! Glenn Miller and his orchestra! One of those is bound to be right! So, so sorry, I should say, <laughs> before we get started, uh, that like this will be... 
will just be coming out of uh, like another segment of the show that I haven't recorded yet, and I probably will on the 24th. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so it'll, it'll sound like I'm in the middle of the show, but I mean, obviously, we'll just be getting started. Okay. All right. Hey, everybody. No, why would I say hey, everybody, like I'm just starting the show when I just explained I'm not just starting the show? <laughs> <laughs> it's like a well-oiled machine with <laughs> sand in the gears. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to try my best not to refer to you as Grandma Girl, as though that's your proper name. But in my head, that's always what I think. <laughs> like you're a superhero or something. To do. Uh, <laughs> and uh, now I'm. I, I, do you have time for that? I feel like I, this is taking sure. a lot longer than I thought, and I don't want to. Okay, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm like I don't want to be like, hey Tim, are you, can we wrap this up before it's actually Christmas? Um, <laughs> I also have a wrong airport story. It doesn't have anything to do with Christmas, but I just felt the need to chime in. Uh, last year, my son and I uh, took a trip to Disneyland, and we were supposed to fly back. And I, I did the shuttle thing ahead of time because we didn't have a car down there. And we're in the shuttle, and I'm like, man, it's taken a long time to get to the Orange County Airport. <laughs> and I pull out my phone real quick, and I check my reservation. That's because I told him to take us to LAX. Oh, God. I was like, bro, you need to stop. He's like, we got to pick up three more people. I'm like, well, those people are screwed because you have to turn around. <laughs> so what happened? Uh, uh, they called somebody else for those people, and he's like, well, you have to pay the, the fee for a, a private ride. I'm like, whatever it takes at this point. <laughs> right, just get go. us there. <laughs> <laughs> so not quite Christmas miracle Also, it was, the, it was the dead heat of summer, but <laughs> similar in that I was like, huh. This really seems like we're going to the wrong airport. <laughs> yeah, every city should really only have one. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, technically speaking, those airports are really far away from each other. Well, I really should have paid attention. <laughs> true. Or noticed that the fee was slightly larger to get there than it I mean, to go there than it was to come there. I'm like, well, why is it more to leave? <laughs> Could it be extra miles? Nah, don't double check. Just nah. press send. It's probably just a scam. They know they've got you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. They're like, like, you have to go home. <laughs> Disneyland was an option. <laughs> Speaking of which, when you were on Oprah, I feel like she talked over you the entire time. <laughs> She's Oprah. Like, she gets to do whatever she wants. <laughs> Still, like, oh, we, got, we brought out the grammar big guns, and I'm going to talk over her the entire time she's trying to give this answer. <laughs> you know what? I was so nervous. I don't remember. It, it was, it's like, be, like how you don't remember any part of your wedding. You know, a lot of people say that. It was like that. The whole thing is, is like a blur. I, <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> Awesome. That was fun. I got to talk about the lobster. <laughs> <laughs>